0: To live a life that is honoring to God requires a person to rest well. Are you a restful person? If you rest well, you will work well, and the other parts of your life will be satisfying too. So important is rest that without a sound theology and practice of it, your work diminishes and your relationships will suffer. What is your theology of rest? How do you work and rest? How do you see work and rest intersecting and completing each other? It is a dichotomy. It's two halves that make a whole. You do both of them well, and it will lead to the satisfying life. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I'm talking about rest in this podcast, but probably in a way that you haven't heard before. For many of you, I am quite sure. The title of the podcast is, You Have to Work to Rest If You Ever Want to Enjoy This Gift. And if you want to read this podcast, I want you to. It is free to you. It is given to you by Janet One of our supporters, Janet, thank you so much for being a supporter of our ministry. Thank you for your donation. You are, Janet, you are reaching thousands of lives every week through our video work, our audio work, podcast, and our written work. Thank you for your support. And if you want to get this article, please take it. It's yours. There is a print feature at the bottom of the article a button that you can click on, and you can print it off as a PDF. You can scratch it up. In fact, uh, that means scribble on it and make notes and so forth. Uh, One person responded on our forums today and said that he was going to print off some articles for his spouse to read. That is a great idea, and you disciple-makers, you can do a similar thing. Not that he isn't a disciple-maker, he is, but he's going to print off some articles, and give them to his wife to read, and you would benefit well if you are doing the work of discipleship too, if you would use these articles for your friends and those within your sphere of soul care. You have to work to rest if you ever want to enjoy this gift. If you work without rest, you will burn out. I think all of us know that. Many of us have been there before. We work, work, and work, and we don't rest. And actually, we do rest. All of us take a break, but it's not true rest, and that is the problem. If you rest without work, you'll become slothful. If you work without rest, you will burn out. And so to work and rest well makes a person complete. And that's why I said earlier, it is a a beautiful dichotomy of wholeness, two components that lead to a contented life. An illustration of this dynamic duo of work and rest is the automobile industry. You had probably heard that it's not wise to buy a car that someone built on a Monday or a Friday, though I'm not sure how you would know when it came down the line, I worked on a production line once upon a time in my former life at BMW manufacturing. We made Z3 roast, roast roasters. We made Z3 roadsters and X5s, and they make different things now. That was more than two decades ago, uh, but I do understand this theory. The theory suggests that if a person builds a car on those two days, Monday or Friday, they are recovering from the past weekend or they're looking forward to the next one. And that is a yes and amen. If you've done production line work in your life, well, you understand. Uh, the, The common conversation for the first two and a half days after the weekend was what we did on the weekend, and then the conversation shifted sometime Wednesday or Thursday to what we'll be doing on the next weekend. And this idea of living for the weekend, it does follow the instincts and the habits of our culture. You can sum up the culture's view of rest by the term, living for the weekend, where the average worker works hard during the week and plays hard on the weekend. The result is a lack of enjoyment of work and a lack of enjoyment of rest because of a misunderstanding of the two's interrelatedness and codependency. The effect on this kind of person's soul is incremental discontentment that motivates him to try harder to find fulfillment, which is a pursuit that will never satisfy. He may go to inexhaustible lengths to fill the God-shaped void in his life. It is a weekend theology of rest. It is the theology of hedonism. In their view, work becomes the necessary evil that finances self-seeking pleasure. It's not a dichotomy. It's just an evil that we have in our lives so that we can enjoy the pleasure. Uh, that's not what work was intended to be, and it's definitely not what rest is. Work is the means to the end rather than part a part of a worldview that should bend toward enjoying and glorifying God in all things. That's the weekend theology. This work hard, play hard hermeneutic, it is a disjointed view of life that spawns perpetual dysfunction. It would be exceptional to find a contented human being who works for the weekend. There is an ingrownness to this kind of thinking that in all honesty, it uses people, places, and things for self-seeking benefits. And so let me circle back around to my questions. What is your theology of rest? When you talk about resting, do you include work in a positive way in your discussion? Are you a restful person? I'm not merely speaking of time away from work. I'm talking about is your soul at rest right now whether you're at work or whatever you're doing is your internal soul at rest and then finally do you pursue biblical rest that does not live for the weekend but a rest that incorporates work i heard a stat about a group of 90 plus year old people and the question was, if they could live their lives over again, what would they do differently? And out of the scores of folks surveyed, there were three top answers. I'm not aware of the priority of order, but there. But here are the three most common responses to these 90-year-old people. And the question is, if you could live your life over, what would you do differently? Number one, and again, I'm not sure if this was number one, but one of the three is, if I had to live my life over again, I would take more risk. Number 2, if I had to live my life over again, I would do things of value. Number 3, if I had to live my life over again, I would reflect more. I would take more risk, I would do things of more value, and I would spend more time in reflection. To put that put, to put that within a biblical framework, Take more risk, meaning I would step out in faith more often, trusting God with my life. To do things of more value, we would say doing things with eternity in mind and eternal value. And to reflect more, well, biblical reflection, meditation, spending time thinking. I want to talk about that one, this last one. Reflection, their last point, is one of the main operatives of the restful soul. A restful soul is a reflective soul. Our society seems opposed to the notion of reflective thinking. We live too frenetically. The pace of life moves at the speed of the internet. We have reduced our relating to each other to tweets, to blurbs, to quotes, To stop, to think, to speak is becoming an anomaly in our culture. We have too much to do to slow down and carefully reflect on what we are doing. Reflection is not valued. Slowing down in thinking is not valued in part because we don't know how to do it. Let's go back 500 years ago. We had these people on our planet. Some of them were called thinkers. It was a job description. A thinker. He's a thinker. We talk about them today. We will say, you'll hear from time to time, he was a great thinker. And usually they're talking about somebody who lived a long time ago. Imagine two kids talking to each other five centuries back about what their fathers did for a living. Kid number one, hey, what does your daddy do for a living? Kid number two, my dad is a thinker. Kid number one, cool, so is mine. I want to be a thinker when I grow up, too. Thinkers are a thing of the past. The doers have replaced the introspective job description. The doer gets things done, though he does not understand how to do what he does well because he does not set aside the time to rest and reflect on what just happened. He doesn't know the true purpose of resting which part of resting is reflection i'll talk more about that in a moment resting is not the cessation of work as as though you're kicking your brain in neutral and doing nothing that is not rest that is a that is the cultures theology of rest Though the Lord rested after his work, he did not disengage himself from what he was and—or who he was and what he was doing. He worked while he was resting. Some people see rest as the antithesis of work rather than a component of it, that happy dichotomy. They are not unrelated opposites, but interrelated necessities. The person who does not understand this will come home from work and check out of life. His goal will be to do something that does not require his mind. That's a perspective mistake. He will more than likely want to entertain himself with his preferred amusement. The word amusement, by the way, means, quote, without the mind, without the mind, Muse means mind, and the letter A is a prefix that negates what follows, the mind. And so to muse is to think. To amuse is not to think. When the man comes home to amuse himself as a way of relaxing, he is not relaxing at all, though it may feel that way at the moment. But it's like a drug addict who takes a meth trip to find relief from the stress of life, or in his case, from the stress of work. Eventually, the meth addict comes back down to earth, and all his stress is still with him. He may have checked out for the evening. He may have checked out for the weekend, but he is not transformed. He's not rested. He's not satisfied. He only wants more of his escape. He lives for the weekend. It's more accurate to say this is an addictive soul, not a restful one. If he is wise, he will realize he has not escaped anything but entered into a vicious cycle of work and rest that has captured him. The worn-down person needs to spend more time in reflection, stopping, thinking about his life. His job does not allow him to do this. His goal must be to reclaim what life has taken from him. And so this is your first step as you enter into a robust theology of rest. The first thing that you must do is reclaim what life has taken from you. And as you are reclaiming, you want to incorporate into your life this idea of thinking and reflection. Rather than succumbing to the demands of life by disengaging, like the father I mentioned earlier, or the dad that I mentioned earlier, he needs a new strategy. Like most tired folks, he has this notion that doing nothing is the answer. Amusement is like the drug. It doesn't give you the answer that you want. To do nothing is to do something that will never satisfy. To do nothing does not reclaim anything. It fakes out the brain into thinking it is resting when it's not. A wife will talk this way too. The daily pressures of her responsibilities overcome her. You will hear her say, I just need a break. A weekend away would be great. Now, in a temporary way, she's correct. But here's the thing. It won't change what she hopes will change. Like the drug addict, a break would allow her to check out of her responsibilities temporarily, momentarily, but it would not transform her with the fortification she needs to persevere in the duties that await her when she returns from her brief trip. Within a day or two of re-entering the fray of her life, she will experience exhaustion all over again. She will be ready to take another break like living for the weekend. And that is not how the Bible teaches us to rest. In Hebrews 4.11, we have this short sentence, therefore, let us strive to enter that rest. I love this phrase. You could substitute the word work there for strive. Did you ever think about that? Let us strive to enter into that rest. If you want to rest, you're going to have to work at it. You can't do amusement. You can't check in, check out on these temporary escapes because ultimately it will not satisfy. You have to strive. And so God is telling the Hebrews, let's let's strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The Lord warns us not to stop striving to find rest. Rest requires work. And if you work well at it, you will discover the perfect sweet spot that sits between work and rest. Because work takes a toll on our soul, you must know how to be proactive about how you rest. There is a rest for the people of God, but only it only comes to the person who works at it. Therefore, Let us strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The husband who comes home with a plan to serve his wife will enjoy a restful home. And there's one of the illustrations of how work and rest work together. He comes home to work And as he works to serve his wife and his family, there is going to be a shalom that transcends the chaos of everyone else's life. The father who thinks about how to engage his children on the way home will build a peaceful home laziness and disengagement will not accomplish either of those things. And you see you see the worldly way of resting there, checking out, disengaging, pulling away, isolating, jumping on the computer. It will not accomplish the rest and the peace that you want. Those types of homes where Men, I'll talk about the women later, but the, wi- the men who check out and disengage, those are not restful homes. They're not peaceful homes. They're not grateful homes because they don't understand work. Contrarywise, that husband who comes home to serve his wife, that husband comes home and he's already thinking about his children. He will build a restful home. The complaining wife, who lets everyone know how exhausted she is, will not find rest for her soul, and neither will her family. You see, there is a counterintuitive element to this kind of thinking, as there is with all gospel-informed living. To work, to find rest, how can that be? Well, you might as well ask, will I live if I die? Do you hear the gospel, The counterintuitive narrative of the gospel? The way of the gospel-centered life is counterintuitive to the self-centered person. I want to take these three illustrations about the husband who doesn't come home to serve his wife, the father who isolates from his children, or the wife who is naggy. The husband comes home not giving any thought to his wife or how he can serve her. Now, you multiply that kind of self centered thinking by 10 years. Go ahead and do it. That's 10 times 365. We are getting close to 4,000 consecutive days. You can also, you also have to insert the other areas of self centered, of his self centeredness into his life. You see, laziness. And selfish habits will not just isolate in his marriage. I was talking to my son about this a couple of days ago, that if you identify a habit, listen, we're talking about a bad habit here. So if you identify laziness in a person, what you do is you draw out a pie chart, and let's say you have 12 slices in that pie chart, and you put different labels in each slice. Marriage, family, church, money, health, working out, physical, eating, uh, spiritual life, friends, relationships, etc., and you just fill out seven spheres of the person's life. And then you take that habit, whatever it is, in this case, laziness, and you put it in the center. Well, laziness will not just isolate in his marriage. Laziness will be like cancer, and it will spread into all those spheres. And so what you will have with a lazy person, so when I said that you 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 multiply his, his not serving his wife times 10 years to get up to 4,000 days almost— It's not just his wife that he's lazy with. You will find laziness that will be seeping into every area of his life. That is exponential complicatedness. There will be an all-about-me assault on all the spheres of his life, which will accelerate his home toward dysfunction. There will not be rest because he doesn't work to rest. The father who continually checks out of his children's lives will reap a whirlwind of anger and rebellion from them, plus a broken heart, assuming that he cares at all. In response, he, he may spend more time on his job as a means of escape from his home life. Thus, his, his job becomes his drug. He will become a slave to his career while disengaged in, disengaged from and mired in selfishness at home. No rest because he's not working. And then we have the wife with the complaining, grumbling, criticizing negativity patterns in her life. She will sow seeds of discord and division in her family. The family will walk on eggshells, never knowing if they have met her expectations. I remember one time I was counseling a a teenager, and she told me that she would phone ahead to a sibling to see how things were with their mom before coming home. True story. She wanted to take temperature so she could prepare herself as she entered their home. There was no rest in their family. If these are ways to unrest, and all of these things that I've just laid out were these three people, a husband, a dad, a, a wife, if, if these are the ways to unrest, then what is the path to rest? When the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, the Lord wanted them to set up memorial stones to remind them of his great work in their lives. God had been working through them and and giving them the ability to persevere and taking care of them for 40 years. God doing this great work through them, and God wanted them to set up memorial stones to remind them of the work. He did not want them to forget what he did for them. You see, work should anticipate reflection. As I was talking about earlier, this idea of slowing down and reflecting, work should anticipate reflection for redemptive purposes. It kind of reminds me of how I feel after mowing the lawn. Some of you men are like this, too. Typically I'll stop to to take in a few minutes to enjoy my freshly trimmed yard. It brings satisfaction to look over my work and rejoice in its accomplishment. Do you see the interconnectedness to work and rest? The Lord made us for work, but not just for utilitarian purposes of working. I mean, doing a job is more than just getting a task done, whether it is the work you do vocationally or, or the work you do to build your home. To do a job and not enjoy the job— it is detrimental to the soul. The Lord wanted the Israelites to remember and to appreciate what he did through them. An aspect of hard work is sitting back and reflecting on the, on the good Lord's strength that enables you to do those tasks. Set up a memorial stone to think, to reflect on God's good work through you during those 40 years. Don't be that utilitarian guy who moves from task to task without taking the time to think about all God did through you. If you don't enjoy his perfected strength in your life, your job will be just that, a job. You will soon exhaust yourself through purposeless grinding. If you work hard at your job and you work hard at your home, you should be able to sit back and rejoice in what God has done through you and done through all of you. If you have a restful home and you have worked hard, At having a restful home. That is something to celebrate. That is something that punctuates work and rest. That is the icing on the cake. You all should celebrate the evidence of God's good grace in your life. The sequence is that you work, rest, and rejoice. These three things make you complete. Rejoicing in the work done is one way to express gratitude to the Lord, remembering what God did. And so you rejoice in the work done. You are acknowledging He is the one who gives you the power, gives you the intelligence to accomplish any task. The person who works hard at work and works hard at rest will be the most grateful because he has experienced God's grace, his empowering favor in all areas of his life. Go back to the the, the husband that doesn't serve, the father that disengages, and the wife that complains. They're not working hard to bring rest, and you will not find gratitude in their life. The sequence is work, rest, and rejoicing. This person has found the sweet center as work, rest, and rejoicing encircles his soul. He understands the interrelatedness and codependency of work, rest, and rejoicing. He faithfully labors at work and rest and enjoys, rejoices in the Lord's benefits and empowering favor to do both endeavors. His response is, gratitude for God's mercy on him. And the wife, who used to be a grumbler and had negativity patterns and was a complainer, She begins to walk out repentance, and she says, I'm going to work hard at my job, and I'm going to work hard at rest. I'm going to be a proactive mom. God's favor will flow through her, and she will eventually have a grateful heart, not a grumbling one. When a person works hard at work and works hard at rest, there will be fruit that makes the heart glad. If the disengaged husband or the or the uh, disengaged father, or the nagging wife did do that work to change. They would find rest for their souls rather than stirring up chaos. Their family would be, at rest too. You see the unrestful soul makes everybody else unrestful as well, as I illustrated with the unserving husband and the disengaged father and the nagging wife. But if you flip it all around and they the husband does serve and does engage and the wife starts using Ephesians 429 language that builds up people where, rather than tearing them down, well that too will spread out into the family, and the family would be at rest too. They would have a peaceful home, a grateful one. When the fruit of this type of work-rest ethic materializes, there will be a newfound rest even while they toil. The title of this podcast is, You Have to Work to Rest, if you ever want to enjoy this gift. And if you want to talk about this article in podcast, well, you have to work at it. You have to go to our website. We have a free community forum. You have to work. You have to get you a a free username and a free password because we have a wall built up because there's mean people in the world and they spam us. But we got high security here and so you're safe. But you got to work. Get your username, get your password. You can jump on our community forum and you can ask a question about this idea of of work rest rejoicing their codependency and interrelatedness maybe you have something else on your mind we would love to be able to come alongside you and serve you as as best we can there's also some embedded links inside of this article there are somewhere between 20 and 30 of them. And as I've been saying in the last several podcasts, you have a book here. So if you're going to be lazy, I'm not sure what else to do for you. I spend a lot of hours putting these together. I am working and I am rejoicing and I'm quite satisfied. But if you want to have a similar experience and you want to change in a particular area, we have the resources. They're free. You get to work. Thanks so much for listening.